Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by TSW3 Productions. Good evening, friends, and welcome to Hollywood's Hidden Treasures. I'm Danelle Dadigan, president and founder of the Hollywood Museum, located in the historic Max Factor building, just steps away from Hollywood Boulevard and Highland Avenue and the world-famous Hollywood Walk of Fame. The Hollywood Museum is one of the city's top tourist attractions where locals and visitors from all over the globe enjoy the most extensive collection of Hollywood memorabilia, spotlighting more than 100 years of Hollywood history. If you love Hollywood and all the glitz and glamour, come in and see the museum's exhibits showcasing one-of-a-kind costumes, props, photographs, scripts, star car collections, personal artifacts, posters, and memorabilia. And don't be surprised if you see a local celebrity checking out their own exhibit. There's something for everyone to see and enjoy at the Hollywood Museum. Our show is about Hollywood, the community, and Hollywood, the entertainment community, and how it grew because of everyone loving Hollywood. So during our time together, we'll hear some wonderful stories about the lives and careers of our guests and some stories we may have never known until now. So please welcome my guests. First up is George Shakiris. Be still my heart. (laughs) Academy Award and Golden Globe winner for the Best Supporting Actress for his role as Bernardo, a leader of the Sharks in the ever-popular 1961 film West Side Story. Yay! All right. That was Dean Wallace. (laughs) So in addition to films, George has performed on Broadway, on London's West End, and in television. We've seen George guest starring in Wonder Woman, Medical Center, Hawaii Five-O, Dallas, Murder, She Wrote, and with the recurring role in the daytime drama, Santa Barbara. And George has starred in the late 80s in the superhero TV action drama Superboy as <laughs> Professor Peterson. You think I didn't know that, George? <laughs> ah. And you know, George has recently written a very fun read, an acclaimed biography titled My West Side Story. And Mitch, I know we both have read that. Oh, yes. It's an excellent book. Yes, yes, yes. And please welcome Dee Wallace. <laughs> Actress and best-selling author with a most inviting smile and wit. It's yeah. too bad we can't see her smile through the airwaves. And she's perhaps best known for her starring role in film that includes Mary Taylor, Elliot's mother, in the 1982 Steven Spielberg film E.T. The Extraterrestrial. I remember that. I remember really? That. Oh, yeah. how excited was I was! It was a little film. I'm glad you saw it. <laughs> no, I remember going to the big theater in Westwood, the National Theater. I just thought that was fabulous. I remember oh how everybody was waiting for this movie to come out. Yes, yeah. I I stood yeah. in line to watch it Did at you? the Cinerama Dome. That's oh, where wow. I saw it. Yeah, forty, 40 yeah. years ago. Well, let me get back to Dee's, you know, bio. It's always very important. And, you know, Dee has appeared in other very popular cult films, including The Hills Have Eyes and The Howling. And I just have to say that Dee brought the head 
of the wolf from the howling to the Hollywood Museum. You bet. And it's on display in our lower level. It used to be a bowling alley and speakeasy during Prohibition days, but it's today where we have everything creepy, including your howling <laughs> head. Amazing, amazing <laughs> place. And Joe Dante, my director... Uh, loaned that to you. We're very grateful to him for that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Tell him he's got this center space, the the, the most important attraction downstairs. I love it. Uh, More seriously, though, Dee has more than 280 credits in film, TV, and more to her name. I don't know how you have time. I don't know. I'm either old or iconic. I don't know. (laughs) I don't even know how you have time to come here today. I mean, but but because I would make time for you, baby. (laughs) Well, thank you for making that time to join us today. And, you know, this year, has been a very busy year for Dee. You know, she has worked so far this year alone on 13 films, all shot this current year and currently in post-production. We're going to have to have a film festival at the museum. I know. I I take a lot of B12. You must. (laughs) Speaking of which, I better go get. (laughs) So also, let's give a shout out for Dee, her multi-talented daughter and award-winning actress, director, and best-selling author, Gabrielle Stone. I so enjoy when she comes and visits us at the museum. That's so sweet. That's so sweet. Very proud. As you should be, as we all are. And let's welcome our third guest, Councilmember Mitch O'Farrell. In his youth and young adulthood, I have to tell you, Dee is yaying in the background. (laughs) In his youth and his young adulthood, Mitch was a well-recognized and award-winning gymnast. And Mitch has an incredible grasp on happenings in Hollywood, the community, and Hollywood, the entertainment industry. Uh, And all of this, I think, was very apparent from his first forays into public service and organizing with Hollywood and our surrounding communities in the city of Los Angeles starting more than three decades ago. Wow. It's a long time. It is. (laughs) It feels like it, but it also feels very fresh at the same time. And, you know, Mitch has worked in the offices of electeds in Los Angeles and Hollywood since 2000, at least 20 years ago. I know, because I first met Mitch in the early 2000s when he was the Hollywood deputy for city council district 13. Oh, wow. Mitch, I remember (laughs) a breakfast one time we had years ago in Mel's Drive-In, and that's when you just impressed me with all that you knew about Hollywood. I was like, oh, my God. But needs to say, Mitch, you know, you have so much experience over these decades. It's hard to have anything parallel to that. So now in his second term as council member of CD13, Mitch has helped lead the city's response to COVID-19, including the establishment of the largest rental relief program in the country. That I did not know. I didn't either. Good for you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Los Angeles wow. uh, is the leader in rental assistance. Um, there's no other city that's come close with helping renters or folks who are food insecure. Oh, so, I love God, you. that's great. <laughs> Even that's more, I love you now. <laughs> and, you know, um, Mitch's office has provided more than $1 million in direct grants to small businesses and theaters in the 13th District. Monthly food distribution uh, events for needy families, hero pay for grocery workers, and he has provided vaccines for nearly 3,000 residents and workers in the 13th district with more focus on historically underserved communities and more. So I want to welcome all three of you to our first show. Uh, This is very exciting, frankly. very exciting. I know. We're all going to learn together, and I'm just looking forward to this, you know. So during our time together, I'm sure we're going to hear some wonderful stories about our guests' lives and careers. And there may even be some overlap because, as you know, the adage, six degrees of separation. So some of the stories, if you don't finish it, 
Maybe one of your fellow guests will finish it for you. Because we all know in Hollywood, it's no longer six degrees of separation. It's really only two. (laughs) So first off, it's a question that everybody wants to know. Tell us, when you first came to Hollywood, did you already have an idea what you wanted to do? Or was it what you thought you wanted to do at the time? And were you already living here in L.A.? Did you live nearby or did you relocate? Who wants to go first? I would let the icons on either side of me start. Oh, well, uh, I went to high school, graduated high school in Long Beach. That's where we, my family and I lived. Um, and I, there was a girl in school who was a, a dancer, a wonderful dancer. And she told me about uh, a school here in Hollywood called the American School of Dance. And she said, Leslie Caron and Sid Charisse take class there. Well, that's what all names? I had to hear. Wow. What names? So yeah. I took the train down one morning to watch a professional class. Nobody famous in class, but it didn't matter. I had to do that. And that's what I... That was my first thing that I studied. So I got a job downtown at the May Company during the day and took yeah. class at night. It was great. I loved it. Yeah. Awesome. So where was this dance studio? Uh, 7021 Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood oh, Boulevard. You remember the address? Yeah, I do. I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You must take a lot of vitamin E. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> It was the school. Ballet companies that came to Los Angeles for appearances always went to that school to take class. So it was a serious school for dancing, but especially ballet, which, of course, to me was the epitome of what we should all learn. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. the, it's the basics, yes. Do yeah. you know I started out as a dancer? No. Yes. I was soloist with a couple of very small companies in Kansas, which is where I'm from. Okay. Never been out of Kansas in my life. Until I moved to New York, I absolutely knew I wanted to be an actress. Didn't know one person, and one person didn't know me. But I had that old Kansas naivete, right? And I'm a big believer in naivete. Yes. And the universe just Mm -hmm. took me and introduced me where I needed to be. I ended up studying with Uta Hagen. Wow. Uh, oh, there's a Yeah, name. for two years. I was lucky. I, I got to study with Uta before she retired and um, used my dance to do a lot of industrial shows so I could make a living. Great. Yeah. Ended up meeting a guy who took me to a party and his agents were there. So I did a lot of commercials and then made my way out to L.A. and we need to take a break. And I was going to say, Dee, it's so fascinating what you're sharing. And and I know all of us here in studio and our listeners want to hear more. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Hollywood's Hidden Treasures. I'm Danielle Dadigan, and tonight we're talking to Academy Award winner George Shakiris, Elliot's mom, Dee Wallace from E.T., the extraterrestrial, and council member Mitch O'Farrell from CD13. Now, I had to interrupt you, Dee, <laughs> but please continue. Please continue, because it's always so interesting when we learn how we first arrived in Hollywood. Well, I ended up doing an industrial show for Kugel Peanut Butter. I danced my way across America as a Kugel Peanut and I ended up... <laughs> I, don't, in, I don't want to laugh. This sounds adorable. Oh, it so wasn't. It was kind of at the time. I made a, a lot of my, I do have a photograph, oh, actually, oh, oh. of it. Uh, this bright pink costume with all these googly eyes all over it. 
embarrassing now. But <clears throat> anyway, so uh, I danced my way across America, ended up in California. And at that time, well, and at this time, it was almost impossible to get on the studio lots. So I did what any good Kansas girl does I bake chocolate chip cookies. I wrapped them up in these big baskets and bows, put them in my backseat, went to the guard gate and said, hi, I've got a delivery. And he went, yeah, go on through. Oh, God. Okay. So Wait, I just need to tell you, Wayman, our engineer, is in his place just giggling and laughing and giving you the thumbs up. <laughs> he wants some of those chocolate chip cookies. Well, I'm really good at them. <laughs> uh, so I... Delivered them to all the casting directors, and the last casting director was Reuben Cannon, who was the head of casting at Universal at the time. He came out when I was there and said, oh, chocolate chip cookies, my favorite. Come on in. So I went in, we were talking, and while I was in there, he got a call from the set that the girl who was going to play the waitress, who had five or six lines, was sick, and, the, and that scene was up next. What should he do? He covered the phone. He looked at me and he said, what size do you wear? I said, what size do you need, honey? <laughs> and he sent me down. To D. <laughs> he sent me down. And that was my my wow. very first film experience in Los Angeles. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, you just got to look. I have to tell a story. Do I have time? I don't want to hog the whole thing here. Before I went to New York, I was a school teacher. And we got the L.A. Times, I mean, the New York Times. And in there was an article where Hal Prince was looking for an unknown to star in A Little Night Music. Oh, Donnie, I, I wrote him the cheesiest letter. God, I wish I had a copy of that letter. And sent him a cheesier picture that my brother's friend who took pictures for the school newspaper came over and took of me. And I sent it off. Three weeks later, his secretary called and said, yeah, he would like to fly you to New York to audition for a little night music. So this is how Kansas I was. I said, oh, what day does he need me? She told me. I went, oh, I'm so happy he doesn't have to pay for my flight. I'm already <laughs> arriving that day. Right? He would have brought me in first class. So the day I arrived in New York, I sent everything that belonged to me in a taxi and said to the driver, can you take them to this address? Because I'm going to go audition for Al Prince. And they all got there. And I got down to the last five girls and the dancing and the acting. And then his assistant said, all right, Mr. Prince would like to hear you sing. And I went, oh, I didn't know we had to sing. And she said, well, dear, it is a musical. <laughs> <laughs> so the company has said, what key, honey? And I went, Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously did not get it, but I got really far. Wow. And I I felt my oats. Yeah. That was my first day in yeah. New York. Oh, my goodness. George, <laughs> what do you did, think? The thing you started when you used the word naivete. Yes. I think having that allows you to do anything. You bet. Yeah. You yeah. bet. Yeah. Be as a little child. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And... You just have to believe and throw it out there. You know, my mother used to say to me, Dee Dee, don't say no for the world. Let the world say no to you. You say yes and go do everything you want to do. 
That is so interesting. You know, Mitch, yeah. I think mm-hmm. about it. You too. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I won't call it naivete. I'll call it that you had control of your emotions and anxiety yeah. and nerves. Yeah. You never let that affect you. Mm-hmm. So, And I, I would say, D. Wallace, you have moxie. I mean, <laughs> it, it just just going for it, that's such a great foundation from which to work. The, the foundation your mother gave you, just, just go for it and don't let anything stop you. I knew from a very young age that I was going to make the most of this life, full of mysteries and, and et cetera, but uh, I was always well-read. I always had a great support system in my family, ever-struggling family. Yes. We were surrounded by love, Oklahoma, born and raised Oklahoma. Uh, and, oh. and Exactly. And so I knew, that, I knew that I wanted to fulfill my dream. So I came to Los Angeles at 21. And I fell in love with Hollywood uh, and lived near the boulevard uh, for the first several months. And uh, I just knew that I was going to make the most of every opportunity that I could make for myself. I was ready for the adventure at age 21, and I'm still on that adventure and that journey. Well, you know, that kind of leads into what I was going to ask you. Did you all stick with your first career choice, or were there other choices along the way, or uh, did you— get disillusioned and think about maybe moving on to something else? Or did you just know what you were going to do? Mitch? I've never been disillusioned in my life. I've had my ups and downs, but disillusioned is not in my vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Uh, I definitely did not plan on becoming an elected official in the city of Los Angeles. That was never in my awareness ever until after age 40. So I came here, I was a, a professional dancer, uh, and I did theater in Los Angeles and waited tables, kind of like the, the typical story you hear. And for about the first 10 years, I, I, I did live theater in L.A., and I traveled the world uh, in shows, dance, uh, uh, et cetera, and musical theater. And, and I loved it, uh, but I knew that to really have the career that I wanted, I needed to be in Los Angeles. So I, I always came back to Los Angeles and spent most of my time here met with little success. So I made a decision at a certain point uh, to give it up and just pursue other things, uh, but never disillusioned. Uh, you know, I, I was raised that you make the most out of life, go through life's hard knocks, get up and just keep going. Yes. And, and that's that's how I was raised. Me too. And that's what I believe. And that's what I like to, that's what I like to <clears throat> sort of let younger people know that you have worth. There's no one else on the planet like you and you have something to give to the greater good. Every individual has within us something to give to humanity. uh, And I've always known that was the truth. I like that. I mean, and I think that's so true because it's always about paying it forward, uh, whether we do it consciously or subconsciously. You do it every day. Thank you. I know that about you. So, George, did you know what you were going to do as a professional from the time you were in your teens? I I did. I knew how I went. Uh, the only way I knew how to start, because it was after the circumstance that was there, was uh, studying at the American School of Dance. Um, so I, uh, I got a job downtown, as I told you, and took class every night. And after some months, maybe six months or so, they gave me a scholarship so I didn't have to pay for my classes. Wow. Uh, and then after a while, I got to start auditioning for movie musicals, and I was cast in a few. So I was, I was having a great time. What can I say? It was wonderful. I, I really loved it. <laughs> you were guided, see? I guess I was. I'm telling you, when you know what you want, yeah. the universe says yes. Yeah. Come yeah. this way. Mm-hmm. You know? And That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got a teaching degree and taught a year of high school. 
for my mother, so I would have something to fall back on because we were extremely poor, and she had had to pretty much raise all of us because my father was an alcoholic. And then, you know, at the same time, I was a dancer. So that was really my first choice. And then my teacher, who was a prima ballerina from Germany, took me aside, and I can't do accents worth anything, but she said, I'm going to do you a big favor. You will always be good. You will never be great. So if you want to be great, go do something else. Oh, my gosh. What and I said, okay, I'll go be an actress because I had watched my mother be an actress in community theater and move so many people. And I remember at eight years old sitting in church watching my mother do this half hour, what we called readings, which are monologues now, and people all around me crying, and I went, oh, I want to do what my mommy does. But that could have been discouraging to hear that, couldn't it? Well, it could have been, but I looked at it as, well, good. I'm not going to waste my time. (laughs) That's brilliant. It really is. It's brilliant not to get discouraged, but actually to use that as a motivator. Yeah. Well, I had my mom and my grandma and, and my dad. My dad was... Such a creative, amazing man who was ruined by the war and turned to alcohol. But he, all I heard my whole life was, you can do it, Didi. You can do it, Didi. That's fantastic. My God. Yeah, I'm very lucky. Wow. Wow. I love these stories. Well, stay tuned to hear more of Hollywood's Hidden Treasures. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Hollywood's Hidden Treasures. I'm Danielle Dadigan, and tonight we're talking with Academy Award winner George Shakiris, Elliot's mom, Dee Wallace, from E.T., The Extraterrestrial, and council member Mitchell Farrell from CD13. So, I have to ask, what was your first big break? And how long did it take for you to become an overnight success? (laughs) Come on, George. Well, okay, well, my first uh, job um, as, as a dancer, I'd been taking class at the American School, and that school was run by Eugene Loring, who it was a very in-demand choreographer. Sid Charisse loved him. Um, he was doing a, a Stanley Kramer movie called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T with Hans Conried. Oh, and, my goodness, I remember this, that. Uh, uh, yes. And um, he needed 60 male dancers, and there weren't that many in the union oh. at the time. So some of us who were not in the union got to audition, and then we were paid enough to, thanks to that job, join the union and then audition for other things. But one of the funny things, I think, and one of the sweet things about that particular job, it's a Tommy Reddick who plays the boy who's having a nightmare, and there's the dungeon sequence where all the instruments are played by guys— and we were all sprayed green every morning. <laughs> you, have, you have your dance belt on, and you're sprayed green. And so that was that was. I broke a trombone in one of the tapes. That was my mistake. But anyway, that was the the first thing. It was, but it was great. It was just seeing that huge camera out there was just. It was it was incredible. It's just to be there. Just to be there. They play that film on TCM from time to time. Yeah. Viewer viewer listeners can catch that film on TCM. Yeah. That's a charming film, really. It is. Yeah, yeah. Quite extraordinary. So, Mitch, tell me, I mean, you know, what do you think your 
The shining moment was. I don't know that I've had it yet. I mean, everything that I've ever gained, I've worked so hard for. And I have no regrets about that. I love earning my way uh, and making the case. I I have to make the case to voters uh, and to constituents. And what I like from the very first time I started in this business, when my predecessor hired me 20 years ago uh, as in a deputy position, That's when I first met you. That's when we first met. And I was very active in my own community because I felt like we weren't really getting our fair share. So I just became very active and and an advocate. And I volunteered for all sorts of things, animal welfare. Um, I delivered food for Project Angel Food for three years uh, to homebound clients. So I was just a a professional volunteer, but I also worked full time. Uh, And that led into this career. And I, I was glad that my predecessor took a chance on someone who had no experience whatsoever in public service, but I knew what customer service was, and I knew, I knew that people liked being treated with respect, they liked being listened to, and they liked receiving services, so I thought, well, that's what public service is all about, and I think I might be qualified to do that. So I, I got the job, and then all those years later, I ran for, for public office, and I'm a city council member, Los Angeles council member, but I earn my keep every single day of the week, and that's what just keeps me going, keeps me motivated, keeps me grounded, and keeps me humble. Well, I've always felt great that you were doing what you do because I trust you. Thank you, George. (laughs) I trust and love you. Wow. That's very true. And, you know, I do have to say, knowing Mitch, I mean, this is an individual. Mm -hmm. You're as crazy as I am, in quotes. We work seven days a week, but it's Mm -hmm. really not work because we love what we do. And and Dee is waving her hand saying, me too, me too. That's it. Love is, is everything. Yeah. Yes, so it is. I, you know, the more you talk, the more I love you. Oh. Just come home with me, little boy. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, I have loved you. I have oh loved my you gosh. since you were, you're, you're America's best screen mom ever in cinematic <laughs> history. And I, and, I know yeah. that, and I know that's just, that was a character role. And I, I know that because you're, you're a multifaceted actor. But uh, I mean, America loves you, D. Wallace. Come on. And I'm just, I I'm, hope just so. I'm just one of the legions. I love America. Testing me a little yeah. bit right now, but yeah. yes. I love my country. Yeah. Yes. You know, I think my big break was I was born. Oh, how beautiful is I, that? I do. I, I was born in this creative family with this creative heart. And as long as I'm creating, I'm happy, you know. But if I had to pinpoint a time in my career, it would have been... I literally had $5.90 left in my account in New York. And I had called my older brother to see if I could borrow $1,000. I said, oh, Denny, I know I'm close. I'm so close. The next week, I booked a United Airlines commercial where literally this is what I did. I turned to the camera and smiled. And I was the friendship girl and made 20000 Wow. Okay. I remember that. (laughs) Those were the days, huh? So, you know, I just always knew, my heart always knew. And I thought, if I don't make it, I'll go back and be a teacher because I love to teach. I'm still teaching. You know, I teach in my healing work all the time now. Mm -hmm. I would imagine you're a wonderful teacher. I am, George. I am. I'm Mm -hmm. a really good Mm -hmm. communicator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really love seeing people oh, wake up mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and realize how 
brilliant and important and loved they are. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. Yes. I love it. Yeah. You know, I have to just jump in and say about Dee, uh, every year at the museum, and Mitch, you and your team come and join us, uh, we have events during the holiday season for at-risk youth and underprivileged children. Mm-hmm. And so these young people come, uh, usually grades six, seven, eight, and nine, junior high school, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. they have never been to a museum before. And they come and they have a civics lessons with our electeds like you, Mitch, mm-hmm. and Tom LeBond used to do it. Mm-hmm. It was great. And then Dee would get up along with so many of the child stars that they recognized and they'd all chat for a moment. But Dee would come with these fabulous white polar bears that were bears of empowerment. Yes, Bapalapalu. Yes, and mm-hmm. you should talk about that just for a moment because I have to tell you, these kids who are not used to sitting still and not paying attention, they were just overwhelmed and transfixed when Dee would get up uh, at, at on the stage and at the podium and hold one of these bears and talk about a what real it does. bear. Oh, no, it's oh. a stuffed bear. Oh, sorry. Okay, but so many of the young girls got these bears, yeah. and I think it made such a difference. So talk about these bears; they're fabulous. Well, uh, and <coughs> the first book in a series of books, Bapalapalu and the I Love Me's, just came out. Um, I teach. Uh, a lot of self-empowerment and self-responsibility in your own creation. And these bears had really powerful statements like, I love my body. I love who I am. I love to love. I am so loved. And they would press the paw and they would hear those statements and we would teach them to repeat them back to the bear so that they were literally stating claims about their own importance. I think this is so important, and you found uh, a way to do it where these young people did not think they were being taught. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. It was entertaining yeah. to them. Who and, devised that system, so to speak? Uh, I had a lot of people that helped me uh-huh. develop it. I did the design, and I came up with the statements. Oh, good. Um, simple things, uh-huh. you know. I did the voice. Uh-huh of the bear and um, I'm really excited that the first book is doing so well now because a lot of people don't understand our brains around our self-esteem, how we see ourselves in the world and how we see the world seeing us totally locked in by eight years old. Mm -hmm. So whatever we're taught from conception to eight or modeled by important people in our life from conception to eight is what we literally build the rest of our life on. Wow. Esteem is everything, isn't it? Yeah. It's everything. uh, Well, how you see yourself, sure. Mm -hmm. It's very true what you're saying, and that reminds me of George because I read his book, My West Side Story, and I just so enjoyed when you talk about when you were is it in grade school or junior high when you started to dance with the dancing partner and then you danced with your sister? That's and right. it just changed. Yeah, yeah. Everything changed yeah. because I think you found yeah. Yeah. what it was you wanted to do. Uh, uh, yeah, it was luck, I suppose. You know, happenstance, you know, but it was... It was uh, or fate. Serendipitous and <laughs> I loved it. You know, there was a beautiful girl in school. I was... This sounds perhaps wrong to say, but she was 
she was different. She wasn't like the other girls. She had sort of a, a draw. I don't know. She had a, a person, and she was a wonderful dancer. And the guy who was her partner was joining the Coast Guard, so she needed to get another partner. So she asked me. We did a couple of high school assemblies, got really nervous, but once it was over, it was such an incredible feeling. Oh, yeah. My God. It was just phenomenal. And so uh, thanks to Joan, Joan Scanlon, uh, I got to dance around. And in the living room, my sister my sister was a wonderful dancer. She got married, so she didn't become professional, but she was always just a natural, glorious dancer. And we, we had two uh, rectangular uh, windows in the living room that were, could be like mirrors at uh-huh. night. So we would watch ourselves in the mirror and, you know, do that, do our thing. So all of that is very, uh, makes a difference. It certainly oh, yeah. does. Yeah. It certainly does. Well, stay tuned to hear more of Hollywood's hidden treasures. Welcome back. You're listening to Hollywood's Hidden Treasures, and I'm Danielle Dadigan. Tonight, we're talking to Academy Award winner George Shakiris, Elliot's mom, Dee Wallace, from E.T., the extraterrestrial, and council member Mitch O'Farrell from CD13. So, you know I'm going to have to ask this question. Do you remember when was the first time you visited Max Factor building? Was it to purchase stage makeup or well, for any other reason? I, I think all, all the dancers in town, we all wanted to get there just to see it, you know. Um, and I think I eventually bought things because I bought pants stick and a race wow. to use for work, you know. It was it was a, a wonderful. I still use a race. <laughs> so it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But the, I don't remember what got me there, just interest and curiosity and wanting to see all the, those beautiful rooms. And just the glamour of it all is history. And uh, it was a, a great fun to go there and to actually uh, buy something from a professional source, you know, mm-hmm. that would maybe help me look better. <laughs> oh, you handsome devil, you. <laughs> Mitch. I remember seeing the incredible Art Deco facade in the early 80s when I moved to Los Angeles and just wondering... Uh, about all the stories that took place behind that facade, all, all the incredible Hollywood history. I think at that time it might not have been open, but the first time I was there was to visit you not long after you had opened, and you had just received the Silence of the Lambs jail oh. um, cells, and they were in your basement, and we had an event down there, and that was, gosh, maybe 20 years ago, and it was a phenomenal event, and I fell in love with the museum then, and I've been a fan uh, and a visitor ever since. Oh, well, thank you. We had a lot of fun. It's true, Max Factor, actually during Prohibition Days, uh, turned his lower level, the basement, into a bowling alley and speakeasy. I guess that augmented uh, times when the, the depression was in full force and people weren't buying sort of like a lot COVID. of makeup. Yeah, <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't, I didn't open up, you know, the no. bowling alley and speakeasy that was down there, but... I could have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I I think I came out after the time that Max Factor, you know, I got started very late. I was 27 when I left Kansas. So one of the things that I always go visit when I come to the Hollywood Museum is the Max Factor. It just enthralls me 
to see all of the old makeup and the stars and and what they used. And it's almost kind of like I can feel them, you know, when I go back in there. Of course, the whole museum's like that, Daniel. You know that. I don't know. It kind of takes you over yeah, when yeah. I go in. You know, it's interesting you say that because so many people who have that sensitivity to spirits uh, can feel yeah. the celebrities. Uh, they can feel wow. whether it's Rita Hayworth, whether it's Judy Garland, mm. Betty Davis. Well, Our director of operations, energy. Steve, has seen Betty Davis smoking a cigarette. What? Oh, wow. Yes, yes, okay. yes, That's yes, wild. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to look for her next time. <laughs> third floor on the third floor. Third floor. Okay. You know something, Dee Dee? That muse- your museum is a major character in the history of Hollywood. You bet. It, it, it is. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah. it helps define what Hollywood was and what Hollywood is. And it is to be treasured and valued. And visited. Absolutely. Sure. Well, I appreciate all of that. And is warming my heart tremendously. In fact, I'm going to choke up and maybe start to tear up. Uh, That's so sweet because the museum was created as a thank you letter back to the community. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we built it with passion. And uh, so it's all wonderful what you're saying. And I suppose there are many different ways to do it, but we chose to do it this way. And I'm so thankful we have so many people from around the world who come and visit and then they tell their neighbors or they tell their co-workers or whatever and uh, you have to go and and locals alike because they know uh, our exhibits change out every few months and people oh, yeah. love that but let's go on because i do have one more burning question i must ask we just have to know this and i think all of our listeners want to know this what is your hidden treasure that you'd like to share with our audience? Is it advice, words of wisdom, memorabilia, a family keepsake, an idea? I would, uh, uh. the biggest thing I would share with everybody is to love themselves. <laughs> Boy, isn't that true? To mm-hmm. just give yourself permission to know your specialness and how magnificent you are. It's okay. You know, it's it's really what we're meant to do here is to realize how great and awesome we are because we change the world when we realize that about ourselves. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I love it. Boy, that's powerful. I know. <laughs> Good for D. I know. <laughs> it, it, it is powerful, and, and people need to hear that every day. Uh, we are sentient beings, and we're... We're very fragile. Human beings are very fragile in their psychological makeup, and we need to support one another. And we need to, I think, do all we can for especially disenfranchised youth or marginalized folks who yes. have not had that that opportunity in life. And, and that's what I strive to do as well. So, D, your words are beautiful, and, and everyone needs to hear that. As far as... Uh, secret, what's the term? Not uh, Hidden treasure? Hidden, hidden treasure. I, I think hidden treasures lie within every last one of us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we all owe it to ourselves to be students of life and just keep learning, learn to love better, learn to love more, learn to get better, and strive to always just be better. That's the only prayer I ever make at night is just be better tomorrow than you were today. That's really my only prayer ever. 
as wow. far as applying to myself. But uh, we all have an opportunity to leave this world in better condition than we found it. Yeah. Every last one of us have that opportunity. Yeah. Wow, those are powerful words. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Both of you, my goodness. Well, George. Well, I, I, what came to mind, uh, I don't know if it's a hidden treasure because I did get to use it professionally a little bit, was um, uh, I started as a dancer, eventually got into some acting. But uh, You think? Do you think? <laughs> yes, you're an amazing actor. Oh, well. Thank George. You. Gosh. Well, Amazing. <laughs> but the, one of the things that I've always loved is singing. And it's something I got to do a few times. Uh, and it was such, uh, so I think of that as a hidden treasure because people don't mm -hmm. think of me that way. You know? but, uh, but Well, wait a minute. You've had several albums of yeah, that uh, in the 1960s. There, there was such incredible beauty going to the Capitol Records, Studio A, um, the orchestra playing live, oh. you singing. Oh. I mean, it was oh. just yeah, me too. amazing, mm -hmm. so thrilling, so thrilling. Yeah, I was, loved it. That, that was my favorite thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Wow, really? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing, you know, mm -hmm. because hidden treasures become even more important when we share them with others, yeah, yeah. interestingly enough. Yeah. Well, you know, it's been a great time. I have enjoyed myself. I hope you have too. Oh, so and, much. Definitely you know, have, yeah. Let's yeah. give a big thank you to George Shakiris, Dee Wallace, and Council Member Mitch O'Farrell. Thank you for joining me this evening. Gosh. And please tell us where our listeners can learn more about you, your website, your social handle, a new show to purchase tickets to see you in, or your book, how they can order it, and how can our listeners sign up and attend Hollywood community events. Wonderful. Uh, CD13.com is the best way to get a hold of me, and we're very, very reachable on social media channels uh, and or at our district or city hall office. Great. I am dwallace.com and my newest book is Born Giving Birth to a New You which is the complete formula for creating anything you want in your life I have to get your book and more of your books I have yes thank you George. yeah well, I have a website georgechakuris.com and that's it <laughs> good enough awesome. well I want to thank you all for joining me it's been so much fun and I hope all of our listeners have enjoyed yeah. this evening together, too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Danelle. Thank you, Dee Dee. And, and thank you, Dee, and thank you, George. Yes. And you are all so what remarkable. What a group we are. <laughs> You're so remarkable. I'm just honored to be here. Thank Me you. Me, too. From our Hollywood Museum family, thank you for joining us this evening. The Hollywood Museum showcases 10,000 authentic show business treasures spotlighting more than 100 years of Hollywood history. Located in the historic Max Factor building, we are considered the official museum of Hollywood. Come see where Marilyn Monroe became a blonde and Lucille Ball received her signature red hair in Max Factor's world-famous makeup rooms. The Hollywood Museum is located steps away from the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Hollywood Museum. Be sure to tune in next week to discover more of Hollywood's hidden treasures with me, Danelle Dadigan, and some of Hollywood's finest, right here on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Actor, see Mr. Factor, you make your kisser look good. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? Reality remains reality no matter how hard you try to ignore it. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Again, I'm all here for the pop culture. 
people dating each other for the press. Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Every so often, and by every so often, I mean literally every 27 seconds when the producer gets fired. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Listen. 